not yet. Bring them up in the Alright, so hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Red Raccoon Radio, where a humble customer steals away two of the workers of his friendly local game shop and interrogates them about things that mean something to him, that, that make his nerdy blood boil. Uh, <laughs> try something new, we're getting close to the new year and shaking things up a little bit. Alright, rock yeah, on. Sure, let's give it a shot. So today, you've already heard his voice, I again have the easiest mark in order to kidnap, and that is game owner Jamie. Hello, everybody. And for the first time, we have Ryan. Hi, how's it going? Hello, Ryan. So, give us a little information about yourself, Ryan. Who are you at the shop? So, I am the night manager. Okay. Um, I mostly deal in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, and all things that are considered dice. So, metal Senior dice. dice goblin. Oh, yeah. Metal dice, sharp dice, uh, resin dice, plastic dice. Sharp dice? Oh, yes. Sharp dice. Sharp is that dice. just, is that an actual dice type, or is yeah. that just... Yeah. Okay. I, sharp edge dice. Sharp edge resin dice. They're they're harder to make because of the sharp edges, because they, they can't tumble them. They have to be polished, and yeah. they tend to be uh, a little bit more expensive, and usually they're poured a little bit better. Um, yeah. Just because it's a giant pain in the butt. Because they have to be done by hand. Yeah. They can't really use a machine to do them. Okay. I was just envisioning a superhero. Yeah. With I can't believe like you never heard of these, John. Come on. sharp dice that he's just throwing at people, and you guys are supplying them, but this makes a whole lot more sense. Now. I mean, yeah. we also have the uh, metal pinwheel dice, and they just have, like, spikes on them, so I guess they're also considered sharp, but not quite the same. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. As yeah. long as they can be considered a weapon, that's all I'm really concerned. No, some of these sharp dice are, are if you, you know, people have the, we had the age-old thing about stepping on Legos in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Nothing on sharp edge dice. This is going to create a wound that will have to be hospital. You'll go to the hospital for if you step on one of these dice. Like the old school bayonets that like cut you in a triangle and yep. could never heal. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a hundred percent what these things are. They're they're beautiful too. You'll have glitter in your blood st- bloodstream for the rest of eternity. That adds a whole other level of complexity. I don't know if that's what I'm into right now. Uh, but yes, awesome. So we definitely have some topics to bring up, especially in the Dungeons Dragon world today. But first of all, I want to know: we are bearing down on Christmas. How's things going at the shop? Busy. Busy. <laughs> busy. Uh, yeah, it's it's Christmas is five, six days, six days from now, right? And um, it's been really busy, and we're very happy that it's busy. We're not complaining. Um, it's been a lot of restocking the shelves. It's been a lot of um, randomly receiving new things in the mail. So I, I feel like some of the cargo containers are maybe freeing up a little bit, and Things that we ordered in August are just suddenly showing up. And um, I was trying to explain to Raven the other day. They asked what uh, what we were expecting for the day, and, and the answer was no clue. Yeah. <laughs> no idea what FedEx, UPS, or the post office is bringing us any day of the week. It's, it's, it's Kickstarters we backed a year and a half ago. It's... Um, things that have been out of stock for six or eight months, like five tribes randomly showing back up that we haven't had in eight, six or eight months. But it's been busy. It's good. It's good. People in general, I'd say, are very happy and in an up mood right now, both in the store and customers coming in. So it's been fun. Yeah, for the most part, it's been very like 
mood is good. Everything's uh, very high energy, and it's kind of just in the middle of like, all right, let's just try and keep riding the wave, and uh, maybe not, maybe not fall on the floor exhausted. <laughs> now, Jamie, you I've seen you at the store, mo- store mostly during the daytime. You are yeah. the Superman, the symbol of peace of the store. Now we have the Batman of the store, the night manager. From a night perspective, how has the store been? Um, kind of doing the same. It's usually a different kind of crowd. Um, usually we get uh, more of the younger uh, generation that comes in. A lot of college students usually uh, have a couple of Pokemon people who like to come in during, you know, what is usually slower time, so That's they fair. can. That's fair. Where God can't witness them. <laughs> look, look at some nice cards and just relax for a second. Um, but right now it's very much, you know, people who are either home for the holidays and need to buy gifts or people who are ready to head home to the holidays and need to buy gifts. And it's like, hi, hi, hi. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't normally travel during the holidays anymore, but back when I did, buying a board game to take with me was kind of a a rite of passage because I knew where I was going with my wife. We would probably have time where... It was just going to be the two of us, and we were going to need some sanity. And even buying a board game for ourselves for Christmas was definitely a need, and we normally do that in the, the shadows of the night. Oh, yeah. Um, we have completely sold out of Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza for that very reason, because it is easy to take to your family. <laughs> yes. We, we still have a little bit of the Christmas version, which is Santa Elf Candy... Cookie Elf Snowman. Santa Cookie Elf Snowman? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a lot harder to keep up with. Yeah. What, Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza rolls better. But yep. the, the, the Christmas one, we do still have some left, but those are going fast, too. Taco, yep. they, they have moved into the number one and number two selling games at the store for hmm. November, December at this point. And that's only because Jeff already sold everybody Illusion. That's fair. That's oh, fair. Yeah. And Goblet Gobblers. And Goblet Gobblers and Zombie Kids. Well, there's no way to sell any of those three anymore because it's just like, oh, well, have you heard of... Yes. <laughs> and, and what about the... Yes. All right. Cool. Give us the new stuff. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. So... 100%. Taco Cats are now, now new stuff. Now, I do know that there was a D&D release last week, correct? That was Strixhaven? Yes. How was that? Uh, week before last. Um, it's been good. I mean, there are a lot of people that um, buy everything that comes out, and so all of our regulars came and got their copies. You know, we are the, I think we're the only one in town that has the alternate art cover, which is really a really cool cover. Um, Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it, it has not been as big of a seller as some of the other books, though, and we didn't expect it to because... You know, Strixhaven is a, it's a magic world. And Mm -hmm. there are some people that that is very exciting to have that crossover with Magic the Gathering into D&D and back and forth. And then there are other purists who don't want their magic contaminating the Dungeons & Dragons world that they've built. Um, But overall, I mean, I'm I'm happy, right? And with the, the number that we've sold. And, uh... But but these module books where they're campaign setting books never sell as well as the ones that have player character options mm-hmm. in them, which makes sense, right? Because a setting book, mostly the dungeon master needs and not necessarily everywhere else, 
Whereas when you've got like a, a Tasha's, you know, that has new player character options, and everybody that that plays D and D probably wants a copy at that point. So. Oh yeah, I'm very interested to see how well the gift set is going to go next year. Yeah. Yeah, did you know there's a new gift set coming out next year? I had no idea. Please go on. Yeah. Oh, so we have the uh, Extended Rules gift set that's going to come out. Um, it's going to have uh, an alternate cover edition, which is going to be all of these classy white covers with a white slipcase. Um, it'll be Xanathar's Guide to Everything, um, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, and a new book, which I believe is like Volo's Guide to the Multiverse or something. It's 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 kind of a it sounds to me like they're kind of emerging stuff out of Volo's Guide into Mordenkainen's a little bit. Yeah. But it's going to be very player character centric to get the new extended rule book. So all of those are the books that had a lot of player options in them and new races, new classes, new prestige classes, new equipments, new magic. I've heard I've heard a lot of uh, chatter just on like what this might mean for, like, new modules coming out. So we'll see how it goes. I'm very excited to see what's yeah. in it. And they're, they're only releasing it, it with the, this first wave when it comes out. The only way to get it is going to be as a trilogy, right? Just like we had a couple years ago, we had the, the three core books in a slipcase with the new Dungeon Master screen. It's going to be that setup. So this new book... You know, if you've already got Tasha's and you've already got Xanathar's, maybe you don't want the whole thing. Maybe you do because the artwork has been improved. There's some rat- errata's been changed around in it. Um, and then there's an all-new book. They will eventually sell that new book separately, but they're not telling us when. So they just said at some point in the future, the new book will be available, but nobody knows yet. Jamie, you gave me an excellent segue, which it's like I set these things up and try and put topics in specifically for that reason. Uh, but yes, the errata is uh, a term that is very big in Dungeons & Dragons right now because they have released a huge improvement, some might say, in how that's been addressed in the future. Certain elements, I should say, of Dungeons & Dragons. Now, I know, Rain, you kind of looked into this pretty heavily, correct? Uh, yes, actually. Ryan, sorry. Yep. I am not a uh, point-of-sale software. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not quite that incompetent. All right. Uh, oh, but yes. Dig, dig. Okay. All right. Sorry. I can insult the ones and zeros. Um, but yeah, I actually have been uh, having very long conversations with uh, one of my buddies about specifically alignment in D&D, which is what a lot of this is coming down to how hard and fast is alignment to racial traits. And one might say it shouldn't be. And this is kind of an extension on that. We are backing up from this idea that you are inherently evil because you are born a certain way. Drow is a great example for this. And we have we've had Dritz for how long? Mm-hmm. And we are since I was in high school. Yeah, we are just now removing the uh, wording about Drow being pretty much mostly evil, and we're kind of putting that as this is a culture that Menzo Brinson has cultivated. This is not a racial thing. This is not inherent to the species. This is very much what has become of certain people because of cult influence. Right. 
and this is being extended to beholders. This is being extended to mind flayers because they are sentient beings. They should be able to have choices, basically. And that's not a bad thing, especially for like the UNT, which are basically human beings. <laughs> Just a little snaky. Just a little, a little bit snaky. snaky. Yeah. Like there's some there's some weird like beginnings here, but if you are born a UNT, there's not necessarily anything that you did about that. So why be inherently evil about it? Yeah, and I think that the idea that moving it over to the culture that you were raised in adds a lot of opportunity as well. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's from what I've been reading, uh, Mesobranzin is still going to be majority, the, you know, basically followers of the cult of Loth, who is a who she is going to continue to be the evil spider queen, and anybody who follows her is going to walk that path. But they're hinting at other drow cities that have broke away, where they are not necessarily going to be, you know, following this 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 case system where. It's everybody's out for themselves, one and only, and there's a lot of backstabbing and evil, dirty buggers as we go along. So, and that was one of the things that I read that made me wonder if there's going to be some new stories and or new module books that show us some of these different cities of the Underdark as well. Which I'm super excited for as well, because, like, if we're going to remove some of this, that means we should get more in order to fill that gap, right? Yeah, like, exactly. We should totally expand on, you know, different uh, sects of the UNT. We should totally expand upon different kind of beholders. Because we've already seen with, like, Xanathar, for instance, there is absolutely an ability to, like, comprehend other people as, like, things we can get along with. Mm-hmm. You know? There's no reason that we need to hold on to the old uh, wording of it. We've already kind of started moving away from it anyway. And I think Wizards is doing something very wise in, in addressing more of the multiverse uh, in some of their books. So as you guys were saying earlier, we got a new multiverse book coming out. In Fizbin's Guide, there was a lot of talk about how dragons can be so opulently powerful that they actually exist across the multiverse. So it doesn't have to live just in one place. And I think that it's trying to, I feel like, to open people's eyes to saying, look, you can play however you want, but we are not going to start putting these restrictions on certain types of characters. You can do whatever you want in your worlds, but we want you to feel like you have all the options that you possibly want. Yeah. And and feel the need to play the game how you want to play it. And it, it's bizarre to me that there are people that are upset with the opportunity for options in a role-playing game, which is all about having options you don't normally have in the real world. Well, I think that there are some people that are complaining about that the they're kind of doing a whitewash of the whole system as well. And I think that's just a very short-sighted look at it cuz like you said, you know, you can um you can create bad guys who have layers. They just don't have to be one-dimensional. Well, that this is a beholder, so therefore it must be evil. Right, or this is a, a mind flare, so therefore must be evil. Now, mind flare's still gonna eat brains, so still probably gonna lean a little bit on the evil scale there, right? I mean, I don't know, maybe they'll come up with uh, brain tofu. <laughs> Locally sourced, free range brains, not ever have consciousness. Well, 
one of my friends who absolutely loves illithids has been thinking about trying to like turn an illithid colony against like the abyss, for instance. It's like demons have brains. They'll be fine. <laughs> Interesting. That's terrifying. I know, right? That's even more terrifying than the new dragon in Fizbins. That is the, the elder brain. That's the elder brain dragon. dragon. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's. That's interesting very much. Yeah, but I mean, it's even other things too, like um, you know the the uh, the read redone um, Ravenloft book uh, removed some racially insensitive terms, like referring to gypsies, and took that out of there. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they eradicated as well was they removed the term barbarians. And so now they're just talking about tribes or clans versus um, versus calling anybody a barbarian because um, it again that it, it creates one dimensional characters and it gives you um, it seems like it limits and it puts draw somebody into a bucket and the most unique bad guys in any of the books that are written and any of the books that we we all enjoy to consume. Um, are, are layered. You want the tortured soul who was driven to doing bad deeds because of his love for, you know, in Dracula's case, his love for a, a woman and trying to protect his family or all these different things versus, well, he was just born that way. Right. It could happen that way, but it just seems so narrow. And I would boring. say, our, oh, go ahead. It's just boring. Yeah. Like, I've. I've fought an elder brain in D&D, and it was one of the least interesting fights I've ever had, because we had no reason to be there. And when you have the reason, when you have the story surrounding it, when you have the context, it becomes more of a fight that you care about winning. And at any point during that, we could have just been like, eh, let's go home. Right. We didn't care. We were there to beat up a, beat up an elder brain. So you know, it's, it's bad. So we just have to do it. Yeah, basically. So I think it definitely puts more of a stress on like we are all here to be role players. We are here to tell a story. We are here to do this in a fun way that doesn't necessarily have to be like ah, let's totally lean on some old stereotypes and right. just generally bad faith. Well, I think a lot in geekdom, from what we've seen, the the layered bad guys that you can somewhat relate to are becoming more and more apparent. I mean, even in the Marvel movies, from Killmonger and Black Panther to um, the Vulture and the first Spider-Man movie within the MCU. No future spoilers, but the new Spider-Man movie has some of this as well. In the X-Men movies, Magneto is a you know he's gone back and forth between being the good guy and the bad guy multiple times, depending on. The situation he finds himself in, right? Absolutely, he's an excellent example of that. And so I think that this gives the ability to to challenge people to think of villains not in, as you're saying, a two dimensional sense as a you are the light, they are the dark, just go to town on them. It's why are you here and why are they wanting things? And if it's not just that they're bad, you have to give them motivation and understanding and hopefully new story hooks for your characters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that, I mean, you know, every time we've had major changes to Dungeons and Dragons, there has always been somebody who has not been happy and who has complained. But for the most part, most players, when, you know, read it and go, yeah, sounds pretty good. Like these new options. Let's keep on going. 
You know, I've been playing since first edition, and there are so many things that are so completely different than 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 what we used to have. Um, you know, and it was I, I've gone back. I, I've actually found a box in the attic of all of my second edition stuff, and just reading through it and reading through some of the lore part and the way that it was written is a little cringy now. You know, going back and looking at some of the stuff that they they used to said and. You know, society is different. Culture is different. Why shouldn't the games that we like to play change a little bit with them? Yeah. And, you know, Farron as a whole just generally actually does age. Like, the concept of time does exist. And as the editions go on, it is just assumed that time has continued. So, you know, the understanding of monsters and uh, how we think about them can also change. Why not? I like that. I'm just going to put in a shout-out for a podcast I've talked way too much on this podcast about, which is Dungeons & Daddies. Uh, <laughs> it is... They, they do a very interesting segment of it where one of the characters travels back in time through a kind of a magical flashback, and in the middle, they play... Well, they attempt to play 5e to the best of their ability. They kind of have play fast and loose with the rules. Uh, but at some point in time, the character takes this flashback and the GM learned how to play Dungeons and Dragons 1.0 and ran this segment of the campaign in 1.0. And he commented some really interesting thoughts about, as he was having to learn this in order to incorporate it into the game, just all the differences and all the variances and just like poison damage just kills you apparently. There's no way to like cure it. And the, uh, the definite advancements that we've had and, and kind of a gratefulness to where we've come from to now where we are. Yeah. I mean, the original rules book that, that I learned to play with was, you know, 50 pages maybe total, and now the book's 150 pages, and and then that's this one of many books yeah. that we have now. And yeah. And so. one of the things that I've noticed in a lot of the newer modules, for instance, has been, like, going over with your players ahead of time. Like, hey, is there anything that you don't want to talk about or is going to make you uncomfortable that could come up? Because, like, making sure everything is a fun, safe place is kind of, like, a great part of D&D. And steamrolling over that to reinforce old stereotypes seems like a silly idea. Oh, sure. I mean, I remember... I was telling somebody the other day that I remember... um, in one of the early, I don't know if the Dungeon Master's Guide or Monster Manual, but they used to talk about demons depending on what level of hell they came from because there was 666 levels of hell. Yeah. And which, of course, was pulled out of, you know, biblical references and stuff like that, which was, and it started, it was all part of the satanic panic of the the early 80s. And, and you know, Wizards of the Coast went, okay, this is offending half the planet, so we're just going to remove that part, and we have demons versus, you know, the legions of, of other parts and the, the blood wars and everything that are still still happening as part of the lore, but they just kind of quietly said, we're going to get rid of those references that made people uncomfortable. Yep. Demons versus devils. Yes. And the differences between. I will also say that I, I think a large portion of it is they are now seeing that video games are becoming a, a huge hit with Dungeons & Dragons as well as live plays and incorporating as much audience as you can into being able to feel accepted in those two worlds is really beneficial for them. So if they can 
allow everybody to feel open to join in and, and enjoy the adventure and not feel like there's those shadowy bits of the, the background. I think that's probably in their best interest. You, you do know that Ryan is a huge critter, right? I had no idea. I am. Uh, huge is probably an overstatement because I'm currently uh, re-watching up to where I was in the second season as opposed to watching the third one uh, live because I work on Thursday nights half the time. Quick quick segment. Did you watch Xander Unlimited with Agria Iyengard? I gaming? didn't. Okay. Um, because while it was airing, I was in a weird place in my life. Okay. Uh, so I didn't have four hours of my time. That's fair. <laughs> my wife is trying to stay current. It is hard for her with, you know, a life. Yep. So she tries to stay up late and get as much as she can until she absolutely collapses, and then she tries to catch the rest in uh, throughout the next two to three days before, and just basically shuts off Twitter so no one can spoil it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. I, I don't really engage in a lot of social media stuff, especially, like, fandom as a whole. I'm kind of just like, it's all right. You can be over there. I'm going to enjoy things at my own pace. <laughs> yeah. Ryan curates most of the dice and all of the critical role stuff that we carry at the store because we're, we're I think, one of the only Darrington Press Guild stores in Illinois. Yep. I think there might be one in Chicago. There are two in Chicago. Two in Chicago plus us, and I, th- yep. I think that might be it for the entire state. So Darrington Press Guild um, membership basically allows us to carry and sell pretty much anything from the Critical Role store. Um, what we've brought in so far that people have enjoyed is a lot of the dice and dice sets, dice bags. Um, the Cobalt Soul notebooks. The Cobalt notebooks that they that have the Critical Role logo on the front of it. And then um, a lot of the, the pins, like the Trinket pin. Trinket's the, uh, the, bear. the bear. Yep. Everybody loves Trinket. Yeah, we, we pulled a lot of that in so far. Um We've been asked to carry more of like the clothing that they have, and we just don't have space. It's we would carry it. We could special order it if you know that there's something you want, and you you tell us what size and which one you want. We'll we'll get it for you, but we don't have space to just have like a critical role clothing rack at the store. It would be cool though. <laughs> I'm just saying. Are you you're wearing a critical role hoodie right now, aren't you? Yep, this is the Vaxeldon uh, Dire Cloak. Yeah, and then I just ordered three hoodie dresses for three staff members who wanted the hoodie dress that they, they released as part of season three. I'm super excited. I'm hoping that they are super comfy, and I'm probably going to live in it. <laughs> My wife has multiple of the shirts, uh, mostly the stores. So Gilfrey's and Gilfrey, no, uh, Godfrey's Glorious Goods. Gilmore. Yeah, so close. You were you were getting there. I I watch from the sidelines, so I hear names and I see things that happen and like fresh cut grass and all that. I'm I'm in the know, but I'm just not. I can't. Google yeah. Rule has never hooked me as much as Dungeon Daddies or Dimension Twenty has. Those two have always been more of my my go-to. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird though, because I got an email that said, you know, randomly from. The critical role that said we would like to have a conversation with you. Please sign this NDA. And I was just like, "What in the heck are we doing here? What is this about?" 
you know, and then Matt it turns Mercer out. Matt wants to stop by. He there. You know, anytime Matt wants to come and host a game at the store, we will make a space at the table for him. That's so nice of you. Yes, I we mean, will. Like, really help him out and get him a little bit more popularity. He yeah. needs he needs some Central Illinois free press. Absolutely. You know, it's yep. not like my friend Laura watches. She's a massive critter as well, and she watches religiously every Thursday. And, Yeah. Yeah, he does come close though. He plays. He runs the um, games at uh, Gamehole Con, which mm-hmm. is in Madison. Madison's only three hours away from us. It's pretty close to us. It's not way closer in California. I mean, it's true. you're just saying he could stop by. He could stop by. You if know, you, you know, instead of flying into Milwaukee Airport and driving to Madison, he could fly to Bloomington, stop by the store, drive up to Madison. <laughs> I'm sure that works out in his travel schedule. Oh, yeah. oh absolutely. Well, they're also busy now running their own company, so I could see why maybe that takes some time. Because you know, I'm still excited to see what other board games they come out with from the Critical Role company itself. Have you seen some of the um, just teasers for those? No. So there's one that's going to be all about like uh, more of a modern setting, and it's going to be like a little indie... I want to say it's an indie RPG. I should have read it up before I came up. Okay. Um <laughs> But it's basically, I say indie RPG as if, you know, but anyway. Um, but it's going to be about, like, basically, like, crime families that have, like, magic and are slinging spells out on the streets. Interesting. I'm super happy. Like So spell mobs. That's yeah. what you're telling me. Magic mobs. I like that. Uh, I never got a chance to play their actual board game, and I'm trying to remember what Ukutoa. it was. Yes. Was that I, I? It's on my shelf and it's just sitting there on the, the wall of shame. Was it fantastic? Good? I okay. like it. Okay. I mean, staff enjoyed it. We that was one of the ones we did for staff training, and I think everybody really enjoyed it. And we've sold quite a bit of it. It's a it's a decent little strategy game about trying to make sure that you're the last person standing on the ship as the uh, monster Ukatoa is destroying the ship bit by bit. And you're trying to position your people to stay alive and be yeah. last one standing. And it's a little bit semi-cooperative, so you can't just immediately be like, all right, everybody free-for-all, because it's in your benefit to make your neighbors not hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's an important life lesson, just to know. Oh, yeah, but it always comes down to just, like, whoever is standing at the very end. However long your life is, probably about five seconds, <laughs> you win. <laughs> yeah. King of the hill mentality for sure. Absolutely. Well, this is a rough segue, but we're talking about board games a little bit. Uh, let's talk about some of the news that's actually in the industry, which an interesting turn of events happened. So there had been rumors that Asmodee had been wanting to sell for a little bit of time or was looking for a buyer. Uh, there were a few names that were being pointed out, but... We found out, I believe last week, that THQ Nordic actually has bought Asmodee itself. THQ Nordic known for being... Or at least they're under contract to buy it. Fair enough. They're working, I think they're working their way through the system with the finalization sometime in 2022. And okay. I, but having it under contract is like 99% of the battle right there. Yeah, and I thought it was the company that owns THQ Nordic. It is. Yeah. It is. It's the there's an equity company that owns THQ Nordic and a bunch of other stuff that has now got the contract to buy Asmodee, which of course Asmodee is the board game industry's holding company that has bought 
Fantasy Flight and Days of Wonder and Z-Man games, and, and they do a lot of stuff with Simon now. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be it's interesting. Nobody quite knows how this is all going to shake out, but historically, um, God, what was the name of this? It starts with an E. I'm dropping the name right now. Embracer Group. Embracer Group. Um, you know, somebody pointed out that Embracer Group hasn't historically been, you know, an '80s um, takeover company where they're trying to strip the value and. Uh, you know, we saw that happen a lot of 80s, especially with a lot of the fast food chains where they ripped all the value out and sold everything off bit by bit. And then the company struggled for forever until it finally went out of business. Embracer Group supposedly hasn't been like that. They have bought companies that they saw a, a long-term future in and have worked to build those brands up and, and move forward with it. So hopefully this is a positive move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like Asmodee could... Not use a little bit of a uh, help and shaping up on occasion. Oh, Asmodee is a giant train wreck right now to work with. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, I mean, the odds. I, you know, well, I was going to be that mean. Maybe but. I shouldn't say that on a podcast, but the odds of anybody from Asmodee listening to a podcast are slim to none. But yeah, I mean, it's nothing I haven't told our Asmodee reps. Their billing system and their ordering system are just a nightmare to work through. Jesse fights with it every week, trying to, you know, get orders placed and then get invoices from them. Getting an invoice for something that we already ordered from them is is impossible. It's ridiculous. It's the worst of, we have the worst experience of trying to actually reconcile the orders and reconcile the bills from Asmodee of any company that we work with. Is and I think it's 113 companies we buy from right now, and they're at the top of my list of worst ones to work with. So hopefully this is actually good news in the long run for actual like game stores and the people who actually carry these games. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope so. I, I think that um, <laughs> I don't know that it could get a whole lot worse. Yeah, it's like where where's the packing list for this? Hmm. Who knows? Yeah. But I think that um, Embracer Group, with the, the THQ and Nordic part of it, has got to bring a whole bunch of IP that could be turned into some really cool board games as we go along, right? Absolutely. Um, one of my favorite games from them is, uh, I think they do they do Dead Island. And, and they do do Dead Island. Yeah, and I, that's, that game is a ton of fun. The zombie survival slash, it's like, it's like Grand Theft Auto with zombies. It's probably the closest you can get to a zombie side video game in some respects. It's probably why I like it, right? Yeah. yeah. I see the connection. <laughs> uh, I think With the crafting and stuff, and you're like, okay, I got a baseball bat that I'm going to strap a, a saw blade onto the end of it and then pound some nails into it to stick out, and I'm going to go whack some zombies with it. I think Darksiders, adding to that as well, is an excellent franchise that they could really extrapolate more from. It was. A beautifully told story. It was a wonderfully played game. It was just so kind of out there. I don't know if they knew how to sell it, but if you actually got into the lore and the story, it would make a fantastic RPG. Uh, it would make a, a great like comp- like cooperative board game where in the in the game you play as the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and so in all their installments you kind of play it as a different one, and that could definitely seeing what they're doing now with Borderlands becoming a board game and I definitely could see some advantages to that. Yeah, well, absolutely. and you could reverse it too. Yeah. Board game IP becoming video games. Rather than just digitizing the video game, 
you know, you could you could have a lot of fun with doing something completely different with the Catan setting or um, you know, I, I imagine um, Zombicide as a as a video game itself, right? You, you reverse it out the other direction. I know we just had an Arkham Horror video game come out, and many of you probably don't know that. There's a reason why. There's a, yeah, I was going to say there was an Arkham Horror video game. Yeah, yeah, there was. <laughs> and there's a reason you don't know, and we're just going to leave it at that. We don't need to go into details, but uh, having a company like Nordic take care of that IP and actually develop a game around that world that's really well built, I, I think that would be fantastic. I hadn't even considered that. Oh, yeah. It means there's so much stuff you can do with all the Arkham lore. I hadn't even thought about that, but that'd be that'd be fabulous. You, know, oh, yeah. you could do first-person shooters. You could do RTSs. You could do kind of more bigger-scale MMOs because there's so much lore with the Arkham horror that's been developed over the years by you know Fantasy Flight and all the games they put out. Give me a Left for Dead where I'm an Arkham investigator and... I'm an Innsmouth and having to shoot dead, uh, like deep ones. Yeah, I'm down with that. Yeah. Make it spooky. Well, but even you could do it with some of the fun stuff, too. Like, I was just, I just had the thought of, uh, you know, stuffed fables, right? Oh, yeah. Stuffed fables turned into a video game where the, the stuffed animals are trying to fight off the evil things and they're trying to get their human back. And Yeah, I was just talking about. Be cute uh, and fuzzy and. The. The decrease in the amount of, like, super original, like, video games as of recent that have managed to make a splash. So, like, back in the day, Spyro, Crash Bandicoot, very off-the-wall, like, sure, why not? Yeah. It's like, we don't really have any of those nowadays. We don't have a lot of top-down, like, solid uh, dungeon crawlers either, which I feel like used to be constant. And I think a lot of, like, board games could definitely be adapted for things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and then... And then uh, and Part of this as well is Asmodee, uh, I didn't realize this, I, we missed this and didn't even talk about this, that Asmodee bought Board Game Arena. And, oh, that's right. Yeah, and so we found out, that, you know, a lot of people went, oh, didn't know they owned that, Board Game Arena being a website that digitizes board games and makes it so that you can play against your friends over the internet. Um, and I have used, I have definitely used Board Game Arena in the past to reinforce my understanding of the rules to make sure that I you know knew was playing with the right rules before I taught staff the board game version of it because sometimes reading the books there's some nuances that you don't catch and in yeah. board game arena is you know a lot of times I have free time when my day finally ends is Kelly falls asleep at nine o'clock at night and I'm you know, I'm not going to invite friends to come over like, hey, why don't you come hang over at 9.30 at night? And, yeah, we all got to work tomorrow. But I can jump on Board Game Arena and I can play a couple games of something, Happy City or something like that. So with Asmodee, um, having picked up Board Game Arena, I'm sure we're going to see new versions of all their games pop up over there. Um, and, you know, they're going to try to, they're going to monetize it. But I think a lot of people I know already have a subscription to Board Game Arena anyway, which is like, four bucks or something like that. I wonder if it can compete with Tabletop Simulator. Well, it's it's a very different um, it's a very different uh, interface, right? Yeah. Because Board Game Arena is just web-based. Mm-hmm. Tabletop Simulator, you got to download and install. And I got to be honest, I don't really like Tabletop Simulator. I think it's super kludgy and it's super hard to um, make a board game feel 
the way it's supposed to feel. Yeah. I'd al- I always prefer to actually play with people. I mean, part of it for me, board games, is hanging out with your friends and getting to socialize and stuff. When you play on you know one of those platforms, most of the time you have no idea who you're playing with, and it's just kind of like, it's not the same. It's true. It's not the same. But didn't know Asmodee had bought Board Game Arena. Also didn't know Asmodee had bought Miniatures Market. That also came out as part of this. That, that caught many, many game stores completely off guard that Asmodee sometime in 2021 bought Miniatures Market. You see, both of you gave me looks. You didn't know this. I, I had no idea. No. Yeah, we haven't had, had a chance to talk about it yet, Ryan. But that was part of this, that it came to light. It was in one of the filings, and, and all the game store owners were like, when the hell did that happen? None of us knew. Well, heck. I remember them going through a weird purge like mid-year a while back. That makes a lot more sense now why they did that. Yeah, I mean, they, they let go a lot of the digital staff from Fantasy Flight specifically last May or June. Mm-hmm. And then, but then I don't know if that's then they knew they were already in the works to pick up Board Game Arena. So why make new versions of the games on different platforms when we're buying a platform like Board Game Arena? And then the miniatures market move is interesting too. They're of course located in St. Louis area and nobody knows what the implications for that are going to be other than, you know, Asmodee is obviously trying to figure out how to go direct to consumers for some of their stuff. Uh, Warhammer being, as of course, has Warhammer stores all over the world where they're trying to capture some of the direct-to-consumer market as well. And um, I don't know if you either of you knew this or not, but actually Hasbro used to have Hasbro stores specifically for around Magic that they tried to launch and. I think they had six or seven stores, and then they eventually shut it all down. Yeah. Still back in the 90s when all that happened. This is mind-blowing. Like, I, this wasn't even a planned topic, and you were just... I don't even know how to respond to this. Yeah. Jamie just has information constantly. He does. I try and listen as much as I can. It's a smart play. Yeah, it's... it's. Um, I don't know how this is going to... Nobody knows yet how this is going to shake out, right? That, um, Or what the long-term play is for them. Shipping is still an issue uh, for everybody, and obviously they can't afford to stop selling to game stores, you know. Yeah. But and if they did try to do anything like that, there's you know possible lawsuits for anti-competitive behavior if they mm-hmm. treat us differently than they treat their own store. So yeah, nobody's no nobody knows yet. It's a it's a whole week of discovery with a whole lot of stores going. W T H. Nice say. Yeah. Right. right. I'll, I'll edit that so it's really smooth. No one will ever notice. Uh-huh. As long it's, very, as, it's very interesting to me that Asmodee did all those uh, acquisitions right before they got bought. Well, I mean, you know, uh, if you're, it was like the Pi Group, I think, that owned them before, right? I believe so. So, yeah, if you want to make something that you own look more attractive because you eventually want to sell it for a profit, those are the types of things you do is you want to create a story. You know, if you're going to if you're going to put something for sale, like even if you put your house for sale, you, you go around and you, um, you, you paint, you maybe you replace the carpet and things of that nature. So... Selling a business is, is the same, where you want to make it attractive to somebody to buy it. And, you know, this gives THQ Nordic, the Embracer Group, it gives them a, a play to go all the way from end to end, from consumer, from publisher to consumer. 
Well, it did get them uh, from the report almost a three million dollar buy. So a three billion dollar, excuse me. Buy. Yeah, three billion 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 dollars. So that definitely makes a lot of sense that they were trying to up how much they were worth before they came out. As long as they don't do what GameStop did to ThinkGeek, that that is all that I ask. Yeah, that was bad. I loved ThinkGeek. ThinkGeek was amazing, and then GameStop killed it. Horribly, it was a massacre. Yeah, because they had well, there was. I went to uh, in Washington D.C. There was a ThinkGeek store. Right. It was so cool. It was like all the stuff from the website. They were just showing off. They had one flagship store, and then, but right when I was there, they had a sign up that said the store was going to be closed as this such and such a date, and then they were going to. St- um, stock Think Geek stuff in the GameStop locations, and I'm like, the one here in Bloomington is tiny. Where the hell do you put anything, right? Yep. I don't and think I've ever seen a big GameStop though. Like even in when I lived in Virginia Beach, it was the same freaking size. <laughs> they used to have them when GameStops were still in malls, right? Yeah. Because those were the big ones when they were in malls. You know, when when uh, we first bought our house. Um, we shouldn't have bought our house because we could not afford our house. So Kelly and I both got part-time jobs in addition to our full-time jobs, and I was working at an electronics boutique in the mall when GameStop bought electronics boutique. And so I saw kind of that transition from the inside, or at least from the from an employee's perspective back in the day. And um, But then the mall locations were way more expensive. They We made a lot more revenue then uh, we did a lot more revenue than the the location that's over by Starbucks, but um, our expenses were so much higher for being in the mall that they shut our location down and moved everything over to the one by Starbucks because even though smaller and made less revenue, it was more profitable for them as a company. Yep. Business. Business. I All mean, business. no one can survive in that mall now. Uh, Well, I will put out one call. Uh, If you are in the Bloomington area, there's a new pizza place that has opened. Binge Pizza, which is giving Detroit-style pizza. It's actually pretty good. Mm. Now, did I know where the food court was in that mall? No. Did I actually drive around the mall a full lap to try and find it? Yes. Was the pizza worth it? I believe so. It was pretty good. All right. That's good to know. Binge Pizza. uh, You're the third person that has said it was good pizza. Because I think Jesse has already had it, too. I saw him do it online uh, the day after I saw the announcement. I follow the Bloomington Restaurant Scene uh, Facebook group, which is pretty much the only reason I have Facebook. Uh, Just that one site uh, that keeps us in the know of what's opening, what's closing. God rest, uh, Zen Express. But... Yeah, so they had said they were open. It was great. Uh, obviously, there's plenty of seating because nobody else is really there. Uh, <laughs> except they have a uh, some sort of Asian place still in the mall is open. I assume just by the people that still work there, that's where they go eat. So, yeah, but it, it feels spooktacular going into that mall. And I'm guessing most malls across the country. Yeah, it's, you know, and it's... That's an interesting part of the game conversation, too, because there used to be a lot of game stores in the mall. When I first got, came to Bloomington Normal uh, to go to ISU, we got all of our D&D books from the Walden Books in the mall. And, of course, Walden Books no longer even exists as a, as a company, I don't think. And, um, you know, right next to that was the same goodies, and we'd get music and, you know, take the bus from ISU to the mall and 
and, and go shopping and come back with second edition stuff. That's where most of my second edition stuff came from was in college days. And so uh, a lot of the malls closing down really slowed down D&D's growth and, and even Magic the Gathering uh, at the beginning because there weren't as many stores until the kind of rise of the independent, friendly local game store happened over the next couple of decades after some of those big boxes shut down. Just it's, it's a constant evolution in our industry, and so it's kind of fun to watch. It's very interesting to me because, like, I actually got shut out kind of when I was younger as far as, like, game stores were concerned because it was very much like a hostile space. Yeah. I hadn't obviously been here. Uh, and it was very much just like, oh, cool. Excuse me while I pick up all my shit from Barnes & Noble. Yep. Bye. Yeah, there was... Um I think, unfortunately, there's still a lot of game stores that are toxic masculinity-dominated stores. And um, most of my friends in the industry that I hang out with and talk to and learn from as well have are fighting that tooth and nail to destroy that for forever. Yeah. But there's still some of them out there. And, and I know that's a conversation that I've had with Amanda, John's wife, yep. that there were stores that she visited where she would never go back to because of the way she was treated for being a woman walking into a game store. That's why we spend so much time and, and effort here at Red Raccoon Games to make sure nobody feels like that. Oh, yeah. And we're basically the only store I've ever seen with female staff. There are a couple, but I don't think thinking Central Illinois. Decatur, well, Illinois. As I say, Crystal owns a mm-hmm. board night in Decatur. Yep. I haven't been over to the board night in Decatur. It's nice. It's small, but it's nice. They're growing. Crystal's yeah. good people. She's she's very nice. I was on like the cusp of being friends with her before I moved out of Decatur. We were very <laughs> close to being friends. I'm like, a sayonara. So I always felt bad. But I'll know yeah. that, I mean, even as a kid, uh, I know that there were stores where I would look in, and I knew I would have loved... Everything in that shop. There's D&D, all sorts of geek stuff. But because of the atmosphere, my mom would not let me go in there, nor would she want to go in there with me. So oh, yeah. there's always that barrier of, yeah. you know, you've got to be welcome. And that's, again, why I love doing a podcast for Red Raccoon, because you guys are the shop that changed my mind about everything when it came to, to these type of game stores. That's Same. fun. I'll give a shout-out to uh, Cabbage and Kings in Peoria, too, because uh, Dan's wife has joined him. You know, they, they were a, a Titan Games location, and they they split away from the, the other guys. And now Dan's wife joined him, and she's an educator like Kelly is, and, and um, they are really focusing, they're trying to redefine who they are as a store as well. So his wife spends quite a bit of time in there helping with the store too, and I think that's really changing the dynamic there. That's awesome. Yeah. I know I went to a couple stores out in Champaign where it was like, I'm just here to pick something up. Please don't make this difficult. <laughs> I just well, want a transaction. I don't want to hang out here. I just want a transaction. I'm looking for one card. Please. <laughs> well, and and, uh, and it was a very... This has been very intentional on my part, too. Absolutely. Before I bought the store, when I was with you know negotiating with Ken and, and trying to figure out how I wanted to do things in the future, Ken said, come with me to Madison to the ACD Game Days which is ACDZ, one of the biggest distributors of board games in North America. They're in the top five. 
and they host two days of education and learning and presentations, and you see tons of stuff of new games coming out. I go every year because Madison's easy to get to. And there was a presentation from uh, Brian Winter, who owns I'm Board in Madison, and he said, if you want women to come into your store, if you want moms to come into your store, if you want a more diverse background in, of customers in your store, then you have to hire those people to be there so that you know, when somebody comes in, they see people that are representative of them, mm-hmm. right? And so we have made a very conscious effort to make sure that if we want to be uh, inviting and welcoming to all these uh, different groups of folks that are out there, we have to be intentional about saying um, we're going to bring them in and make sure that they're part of our culture and make sure they enjoy board games and they can represent everybody else as well. And and so it's, it's definitely part of our hiring practices that we make sure everybody is represented mm-hmm. or the best of our ability. And if somebody were to come in and see that they're represented and understand that the store is a safe place, Let's talk about what's available for them to buy, specifically in the hotness. <laughs> that was a hell of a transition. It Beautiful. Was a little, it was felt good, but I still think there were some long leaps there. Uh, well, when you first come into the store, you will immediately turn to your uh, right, right and see our lovely new hotness rack. Uh, one of the things on there is the Strixhaven book that we talked about earlier. That is true, with the alternate cover. Uh, yeah. I'm going to just say right now, I have a few alternate covers, but most of my books are not, and it's almost frustrating. I almost want to rebuy the books, because if I could have all alternate covers, that would be great. But well, if you would like to sell your alternate covers, I intend to buy them. <laughs> Ryan and I will be talking after the podcast. Wondrous. Uh, uh, yes, but there are some really great things on there. First of all, I know that The Hunger is out, which is something that was pretty well publicized in magazines like GTM and had a lot of good spin. It's on my shelf of shame, but I have not gotten to it yet. It's not, it's not super shameful because it's only been a, like a week and a half that's that it's right. even been available. Yeah. It was supposed to be Renegade's big Gen Con release. Well, here we are in December. We just got the game. So, right. and it's a it's a vampire game, and and I I kind of dig the really stylized art. I know Jesse wasn't super happy with how. I stylized it was, but I thought it was a fun take on vampires. It's it's not my preferred go-to, but it does seem more like a fun game because yeah, of it's, the art. Yeah, it's less dark and gothy yeah. than, than a lot of vampire games tend to be, and it's a it's a game where you're you're going out and you're playing as vampires and you're trying to eat as many people as you possibly can <laughs> while making sure that you get back to your castle in the safety of your coffin before the sun comes up. It definitely feels has a as a Adam's Family type of feel, where it's, yes, this is macabre and dark, but it's kind of fun. Yeah. We're all just enjoying the whole eating people aspect of it. So. Absolutely. Yeah, and you have to watch out for uh, vampire hunters along the way, and because you, you that's bad, right? You don't want to. And there's a uh, there's definitely some puns and some tropes that are drawn into the game as you go along too, right? Like it's that's totally not. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, is it? No, it's it's totally not. They wouldn't do that because that'd be copyright infringement. Becky, the Vampire Killer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'd watch that show. Yeah. Uh, Jamie, I did see, and we've talked greatly about your love of G.I. Joe on yes. this podcast. Have you picked up the deck builder? Yet? I have not yet. It's been so busy the last week. I haven't got it yet, but both G.I. Joe and the Transformer deck builders both got to the store 
and we still have them with the uh, the special limited promo cards that come with them and everything. And they're cute little bonus boxes. Yeah, and I haven't gotten either of them yet, or the and but Jesse did get the Power Rangers one, so. And I'm just gonna put my two cents out there as a uh, Jesse and I normally are vibing when it comes to Power Rangers. I did not enjoy the deck builder that much. Really? I, I think, though, a part of that was thematic and how it was used, because one person, first of all, has to play the villain, which I know that that's going to be happening with both Transformers and G.I. Joe. I know that's how it is. But there's a definite different feel. With G.I. Joe and and Transformers, the, there's kind of polar opposites. But at the end of the day, they're either bad guys fighting good guys that are humans or robots fighting robots, and they all still have kind of the same unique abilities with power rangers it's you have these kids that transform into like super soldiers and then they get into giant robots and the bad guys are just monsters that grow and it just feels a little off i the the mechanics don't really sing to me so i'm curious to see if the transformers and the gi joe one being with a better aesthetic possibly for me to enjoy i'm hoping to get the gi joe one and get it to the table after christmas is over that's that's my goal is to start getting caught up on some of the games that I have that are currently in my pile of shame that the plastic hasn't even been taken off of the game at this point because that pile is unfortunately large at this point. But I'll tell you one game that's in here that we did get a chance to play. We played as a staff, which is Lizard Wizard, mm-hmm. or as uh, Brittany has been calling it, Lizzy Wizzy. Yeah, I, I didn't actually get to play it Yeah, because I was, uh, I think I was out. You were um, you played on the Sunday game training day, and the on the Monday one we played it. We we threw it down there. Yep. It's really good. We played. It's really good. Well, and it was it was a it was this particular time um, with the the division of staff and just how it came out for the game training. We we have to break it into two different nights because just the, the number of people we're trying to train now, and all of the a lot of the newbies. Tended to, oh, they all were on Sunday, so Sunday ended up being a lot of like let's get a lot of the classics taught, and then Monday, um, I was teaching the class and had all the the kind of the veteran Red Raccoon staff members, and we'd already played all those, so we busted out a bunch of new stuff. And Lizard Wizard was really good. Um, Brittany has was the only one of us that had played Raccoon Tycoon. And Lizard Wizard brings a lot of the mechanics of Raccoon Tycoon forward and fixes problematic areas from the original game. So uh, it is a longer, crunchier game. We were two hours in when I finally said, I'm just pointing out that it's 1030 at night and we probably all need to get a little bit of sleep before tomorrow. Because uh, we were not, you know, that first game is always longer from the learning curve, but we were all having such a good time that... I know uh, Brittany, Grant, and I all bought copies of the game uh, just from that first playthrough, so that was awesome. Uh, Cluster is another new one that I'm looking forward to, and Cluster is a dexterity game, and I kind of dig dexterity games. I know they're not everybody's jam. Yeah. We had a game that was put out by R&R Game called Attraction, and Attraction was basically using magnets... It was magnets, shooting marbles with magnets. And you were trying to, in attraction, you're trying to get clusters of magnets to stick to each other. And then you could pick one of those up. And at the end of the game, the person with the most magnets wins. 
cluster is the exact opposite. You're trying to get rid of all your magnets. You have a constrained area you put down, and you're trying to get rid of all your magnets. And if you, when you put a magnet onto the table, if any of them snap together, um, you have to pick those back up. So it's it's a game of trying to get rid of your magnets. And you can, if you want to, you can use your magnet to try to push other magnets away. But if you do it wrong and they they click together, then you've got to pick them up, and you just lost your turn, and now you have more magnets than you started with. So kind of a fun little dexterity game there. Gotcha. Nice. I want to put a, a shout-out for Tales for the Loop, the board game. Uh, it is something I plan on buying. I have not gotten it yet. Uh, but I truly love the aesthetic that it brings. So there's an artist, and I'm going to have to look up his name because I know that he is not uh, from America. Uh, I should have been looking this up as we were talking instead of creating dead air. Well, those guys are from, they're either from Finland or Sweden, right? So yes. I can never remember if it's Finland or Sweden, but it's it's that's the whole company. So it's from a Swedish artist named Simon Stalenhag, I believe is how it's pronounced. And he creates these beautiful uses of kind of sci-fi and almost Norman Rockwell-esque design. So it's like... Kind of a lot of diesel punk feel to them, but subtly in the background with kids and playing and swing sets and stuff, and then way in the background there's some kind of mechanical creature back there. and Very similar to what you might see in uh, Scythe. Yeah. Where yes. you're you're seeing maybe somebody working in the field and there's an airship within the within his art there will be kids playing with a ball and a bipedal robot is just walking by or and he has uh, developed this into not only a role playing game which kind of like kids on bikes you play as children uh, in a town where all this advanced technology is happening and maybe technology is going a little too far so you have to find out a mystery about it. Uh, but also, it was a TV series promoted by Amazon, which I thought I found to be very good, but I will doubt it gets a second season. As well as now is this board game. And even in the RPG, there is now a sequel to Tales from the Loop called Things from the Flood, which basically allows you to take the kids from your Tales from the Loop game and age them up into teenagers. And the technology that was in the first game has started to degrade, and it's not working properly anymore. And your town is kind of falling apart kind of like a Flint, Michigan situation with super science. And so it's, you know, you have these high school kids living in this rundown town, and it kind of then brings an evolution. I'm hoping we get a third book where they end up being adults, and who knows where it goes from there. But yeah. I would highly put that out there. Uh, it sounds like it's a scenario co-op-based. I've tried not to research too much about it, because there are campaigns that you go through, and I don't want it to be spoiled, but uh, I, I would like to throw that out as a possible thing for people to look at. As yeah. far as campaigns are concerned, we did get our first uh, books in for Fading Suns, which I'm super excited about. You're going to have to give me a little bit more on Fading Suns. I have no idea what you're talking about. So I didn't even know what it was until about a couple months ago when Jesse was just like, hey, do you want to join a game? I'm just like, sure, why not? Who cares? Games are good. I like games. That's why you're here. Yeah, basically. And... Uh, Basically, Tony uh, gave me the rundown, and it's very much kind of like if you've ever heard of the Spelljammer uh, campaigns from old D&D. It's kind of like that, where it's very like, it's high fantasy, but we're in space. And there's this huge star map of things that you get to go to, and the books look fantastic just on like quality. And I'm really excited to actually get to dive into them. 
it looks like it's going to be a fun role-playing game. It's on the top shelf. If Got you it. didn't see it. Yep. Oh, okay, now I see it. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, Jesse's been talking about it for a while. I know he's super stoked for this one. So that was it's not it wasn't even on my radar until he started talking about it either. Yeah. Well I joined the group and the first thing that really stood out to me was that I I couldn't find any like of the what I would consider like lore information anywhere. And I was just like, Oh, this is gonna be rough because I, I like to just wiki dive on D and D all the time. Right. And I was kind of like getting a little bummed about it, and then the books came out, and I was like, "Oh, the spark is reignited! I'm excited!" <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> the very first thing I was like, I was just like, "So I want to be a witch," and my entire party looks at me and she's like, "So you want to get us killed?" I'm just like, "I'm not saying I'm doing it in the square." <laughs> uh, this gives me Fire Five vibes, and I don't know if that's close or not, but I think that is what Jesse originally liked it to, yeah. Yeah. Um. I personally have never seen Firefly. I know that makes me a heathen. No, no. Especially <laughs> now that we know things. Yeah. E- except. Yeah. <laughs> what? How did you get hired? I'm just I, that I awesome. I think that was a question on the application. Yeah, <laughs> Ryan. Wow. Never seen Firefly? <sighs> I'm not usually really into sci-fi things. All right, that's fair. But it's cowboys in space. The sci-fi is very actually minimal in the show. Yeah, well, I have Cowboy Bebop for that. You do. You have even more Cowboy Bebop now. But <laughs> Maybe. not anymore. Of it. No. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I'll admit I'm three episodes in. I'm kind of digging it as its own aesthetic. I would have called it, it... It feels like to me what should have happened with the... Um, Ghost the, the Keanu, Show? No, no, the Keanu Reeves Constantine. If they had called that movie anything else, I think it would have been much better received. I think they could have redone what they planned to do with Cowboy Bebop, put a different title on it. I think it would have done considerably well, but it's because they were trying to link it to source material, but then deviating so heavily that they they are not finding success with it. And I know that Constantine has uh, has had a lot of um, issues over the years, with especially reconciling with the, the comics and everything like that, and yet I just... Bought it on Blu-ray <laughs> to make sure that when I want to watch Constantine, I can watch it in as high quality as I want to. When so. I mean, that's fair. When I am thinking of D&D Wizards casting Shield, the I always imagine the arms coming together in Constantine. I know that's not even what it does in the movie, but for some reason, that just always is iconic to me and how well they did that. Yeah. Absolutely. But no. yeah, so Fading Suns looks like it's going to be really interesting, and I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. Now, one of the one other game that's on there that I think that f- has been flying under the radar for a lot of people too, and I'm super interested to see how it plays out is Into Deep. This is a Kickstarter that we backed from uh, Burnt Island Games, and Burnt Island, um, the last game that we got from them was In the Hall of the Mountain King. And did you play with that with us? Oh, with me, yeah. you, and Chris. Yeah, that time? it was fantastic. Yeah, where you're you're the goblins tr- uh, trying to reclaim your, your ancestral home. Yeah, and in to the dig mountain. Yourself out. This one is very cyberpunk, in that um, mega corporations have taken over everything, and you're playing basically as a a, a human hacker. 
and not that you're a human, you're hacking humans. Because a lot of the corporations and a lot of the syndicates have evolved are using cyberpunk-style technology, and you're hacking their technology to take over people. And you're getting, it's all about how deep can you get to find the evidence and prove the syndicate did this thing and, and get them convicted without going in too deep and becoming so embedded that you're, you, you lose yourself, right, into the, the criminal world. Yeah, you lose yourself into the criminal world that you're trying to infiltrate. And uh, I'm, I'm really stoked to, to get a chance to get this on the table, too. That sounds fascinating. That does sound like fun. Yeah. Uh, so you can come into the store right now and buy that. But if they were looking for something, another reason to come into the store other than any of these fantastic games, I know it's Christmas, but is there anything going on in the next week? Well, I don't know if we're going to get this podcast out in time, but tomorrow is December 20th. D20. D20. It's the D20 sale tomorrow. And so we'll see how many people hear this before it happens, but it's like the one sale sale of the year that we do. So anybody listening to this for the future, every year on December 20th, we do a sale where you get to come in and you put a, whatever game you want to buy on the reg- at the counter, and then we hand you a 20-sided die, and you roll it, and that's your discount. So... Um, you know, and if you get a roll, if you roll five or under, you get an opportunity for a re-roll, but you must keep the second number. So we've we see far more rolls under five than you would think that there should be statistically. Um, and uh, last year I had a guy who rolled a three, and I'm like, well, do you want a re-roll? And he's like, yeah, and he took his re-roll, and he got a two. And he just started laughing because he's like, of course that's what I got. That's exactly how my luck works when I play RPG games. And so, oh, yeah. Now, Ryan, as a dice goblin, is there any advice you would give to people coming in for the D20 sale? Um, in my personal opinion, you can never know what the true nature of a die is until you've bought it. That was such clever marketing. I don't know. That was beautiful. You can roll it on the counter as many times as you like. It it will never tell you what it's going to roll in real life. When it when it comes down to the wire, when you are the last person standing, when you are standing against the TPK, you will not know if your dice will betray you until that moment. <laughs> So, Jamie, I guess my question is, if someone were to buy a set of dice, could they then use that dice for their next purchase for the discounts? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, to pull, the, pull the 20 out of that set and roll that 20, yeah. Okay. I, you don't have to use our die, yeah. Absolutely. If you've got one that's been blessed by the high priest and, you know, of wherever and... You, you might want to be like careful that. by saying that they can use any die they want. I don't know if... Well, that's fair too. There are loaded dice. You know, there was a company that was selling loaded uh, D20 dice for a while, but I think they stopped. Well, there's also like the loaded character roller dice or whatever the yeah. D6s. All right, maybe I'll, maybe we'll go back. You have to use our die. Yeah. Yeah, you have to use our but dice. You could buy a die. You could buy a die and use that one. You can, yeah. You cannot we'll, bring any uh, any dice sanctified at the. Yeah, uh, we do have a saying at the store when we're talking about things like this of call, when what we use is we say gamers gonna game. That's fair. So we do have to usually think about a little bit like okay, and and you made me think that now so you have to buy a die or use a die that's in the store to do this. I I fully recommend using the hollow metal snowflakes which we have for the season. 
Yeah. But then coming up after, so we got the D20 sale, which is tomorrow, Monday. And then Friday is Christmas Eve. We're closing early, so we're closing at 6. Uh, I tried to be open on Christmas Eve, like the first three years I owed the store, and nobody came in. Like, you know, after 4, 4 to 6, we'll see a couple of frantic shoppers like, oh, crap, I forgot to buy something. And then after 6, it was just literally nobody. And, and it was just like, I'm like... I don't, why? Nobody's even coming in. Why do I want to be here? So we just close at 6 now. Uh, Closed on Christmas Day. Uh, New Year's Eve will be open regular hours. That's a Friday night, so we'll be open till 10. And then New Year's Day closed. And then, um, yeah, there's there's no real special events that are happening. Um, January, of course, we're gonna we, we've got to close down the store. We got to do inventory. None no. of us wants to do it, but we're required by law to do it. I want to do it. You want to do it? You want to actually know how many dice we have of which kinds? Uh, yes, because my numbers are off and it drives me crazy. <laughs> okay, that's fair. So Ryan's apparently the only one who wants to do the inventory. So we'll have to have Ryan on again after the inventory and still think and ask her if she still believes that. Like, I used yeah. to do inventory at the grocery store. While we were open, and I still like doing inventory. At so least these will be things that you probably care a little bit more about than produce. Oh so. yes. Yeah. So inventory, we will close down on Monday the tenth, and we will be closed until probably reopening on Thursday the thirteenth. So Which we'll, occasionally you've gotten done early and, and throw if, open the doors. If yeah, we're going to count and go through things as fast as we possibly can, and um, you know, but we want to make sure that we are accurate. And we have the best count that we possibly can. Invariably, we always find numbers that are off for whatever reason, um, but we will be closed. And then right after we reopen, it's like, bam, Digimon pre-release and a Magic pre-release and then a Pokemon pre-release and a Flesh and Blood pre-release. And there's a, there's a ton of stuff happening at the end of January. Uh, we have a next gamer night will be at the end of January. I think that's the fourth Saturday of the month, the third or fourth Saturday of January is our next gamer night. Yeah. And it's G A Y M E R. Um, that was hugely well received. Uh, I think we've got another ladies' night scheduled coming up. We're going to try to re kickstart and get uh, Dungeons Dragons Adventures League going again in January if we can get that. So there's a lot of stuff at the end of January, but we've got a few weeks of kind of everybody regrouping and trying to recenter themselves. Yeah, and we'll be starting 101 up again in late January or early February, right? Well, the the board game 101 is going to be rolled into D&D 101. Oh, okay. So we were going a different <laughs> direction on that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, D&D 101 will be the end of January. That's always been popular. That's where we teach people how to play Dungeons and Dragons and it's always super popular. It's like a lot of parents with their their children doing that one. And then um, Board Game 101, we used to do on Monday nights, and we're, we're going to kind of roll that into Thursday nights with Thursday night board game night, so family board game night. And um, So, yeah, lots of plans for lots of things happening, but none of them really kicks into gear until, like, the third week of January. Yep. Until then, it's just uh, what came off of a cargo container in a boat and showed up that we ordered six months ago and we're not even expecting right now. I think that's the new name of the podcast. That one. Yeah. Change that across the board. Yeah. Uh, But until I get that change, thank you for listening to Red Raccoon Radio. Thank you to my guests. I'll unlock your shackles here in a second. (laughs) 
And to everybody listening, have happy holidays, no matter what you celebrate or how you celebrate or who you celebrate with. Uh, Keep playing. Bye, guys. Friends, family, and fun.